0: with me, would you please? Abba, Father, we distill ourselves in your very presence, and we see the love that's in the eyes of your Son, Jesus Christ, a love that sees us from in our brokenness, a love that's restorative and healing and whole. You see all the scattered pieces of our life. You see how we are discombobulated, and you restore piece by piece. I prayed this morning that your will be done, your kingdom would come, that we would understand um, about your son Jesus and his deep love for us, that you'd open the eyes of our understanding. We would see your great compassion. Father, you rise to show us compassion. You're a God who has such rich love in your heart for us. Help us to receive it. Help us to savor it, to bask in it. We give to you, God, that which has been burdening our hearts. We just lay it before you because you're a God who's willing to receive and unburden ourselves. Now, Father, we pray for our focus to be upon the word, that it would um, illumine to us, that it would encourage us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, welcome to Grace, and my name is uh, R. Dallas Green. I received some good news this week from Johns Hopkins. As most of you know, I had a soft tissue um, mass removed from my left side back in late June. The surgeon was able to take the solitary fibrous tumor from me, except for one side. There wasn't enough margin. So the question before Johns Hopkins was, is there any malignant cancer in my body? And secondly, will cutting into my muscle reduce the odds of recurrence? So they did extensive MRIs and CT scans upon me, and they found there's no evidence of any malignancy, which is good news. They also um, had a bored conversation on me, a lengthy conversation, and they ruled that there's no evidence that surgery would in any way reduce my chances of recurrence. So you could say that I have a zero chance or a 100% chance. So, yeah, it's like absolute trust time. Like, okay, God, we walk together through this. So what does it mean? It means... I get to live my life, get to talk about the prodigal son, talk about the um, parable of the Good Samaritan. I get to join Grace Fit. No, I can't be part of that. But I I am so happy that you even get a chance to work out on Mondays and hang out with each other. I'm glad to be part of our church in this time. Our church is all about discipleship, as you know. Yesterday, we had a discipleship experience here. We'll do one again next Saturday. Um, It's all about giving people a taste of Um, community life, we have 17 groups that are forming, happening, happening at Starbucks, people's homes here at the church, happening in the morning, in the evening, the weekend, they're just like happening. People are getting together, doing life together, which gives me great joy. We're creating these safe environments where people can be uh, with intentional leaders towards spiritual growth, formation. We want the Holy Spirit and the Word of God to transform us. I was asked by one of our group leaders to go to the Greek festival on Friday night. Hey, let's do life together. I went had some great pastichio, little baklava, heard some Greek music. One of our couples actually met at the Greek festival a year ago, Sarah, formerly Raymond, her husband Matt. So this is their one year celebration, so I was happy for them. So it's beautiful to be together. So I want you to imagine something first. Oh, open your Bible so you wouldn't mind too. Luke chapter 10. I want you to imagine something, okay? Let's imagine you've gone to Costco and you made one of the you know, food runs, and uh, there's a man standing on the corner. He has a sign up that says, Homeless Vet, you know, please help. So what do you do? What do you do in that situation? You got it? You know, you've gone for food, you're driving away with your food, and there's a guy with a sign that says, Please help, you know, homeless vet, need some help. Do you, A, ignore him, you know, try not to make eye contact. You know how it is when someone's trying to merge in you know, on the highway? You don't want to make eye contact with them because we make eye contact. Like, I'll give you a spot. Like, so I'm going to avoid this eye contact with you because you're standing there with your sign and I'm driving away. Do you give him money? Not ask any questions, you know, fish around in your change drawer there for some coins or some bills to give to the homeless guy. Do you kind of like look at what he's wearing, like making this assessment? Like, okay, he's got an army hat. He's got a you know, camo shirt, but he's got a new pair of Nikes on. Like, I'm not sure this guy is quite legit. Like, so I'm kind of questioning this. Like, I'm looking at you and assessing and trying to discern to make a decision. Do you uh, assume that you're being conned? Kind of become cynical in the whole deal. Like, you know, panhandlers, they do pretty well these days. I read about a panhandler that you know, had $600,000 in his estate, maybe this is a guy. What do you do? What do you do in a situation, let's say you're in D.C. or in Baltimore, and there's a homeless person, and they're presenting themselves, they have a need, and you have something, what do you do in that situation? It's my assumption that, given the uh, schedules we keep, that we are disinclined to get involved we know that if we stop to a broken-down motorist, for instance, that we'll be late for what's next, right? And most likely, the person that's broken down has a cell phone in AAA or somebody they can call to come and help them. So we're very rarely ever getting involved with a stranger, right? What changes the equation, for me at least, is if the person whose car is broken down is a woman, Because something kicks into gear if I see, like, a young woman with a broken-down car, I think about my daughter, right? And I'll ask if they can help. Now, if an older woman is there, her hood is up, she isn't talking on her cell phone, it doesn't look as if help's on the way, she looks kind of desperate. In that situation, time permitting, you know, we're not overscheduled, we'll stop by and kind of roll our window down and say, are you okay? Now, we really hope to say, they'll say, yeah, I'm okay, we go on, right? But if it's a woman and she doesn't have a cell phone or she needs to make a phone call or needs to get to the garage, we'll begin that process together, of helping her out. So now I'd like to walk you into the parable of the modern-day Good Samaritan from my life. It was a beautiful Sunday afternoon, and I had about two hours to take a bike ride. I was gonna go out into the country and I had my front tire was starting to have some problems. I would fill it up and it'd hold air, but I think it was having some problems with the tube. So I kind of filled it up and I went out about an hour and I really wasn't paying much attention to this tire and the tube gave way. I was going around this turn and my bike went down and I went over the handlebars and my bell helmet cracked and my sunglasses broke and my face got planted in the asphalt. Got the scene, okay. (laughs) So I was lying there in the country uh, in some mild form of shock. (laughs) My face didn't look so good, but there was hope on the horizon. There was this young guy in this Honda with kind of a blown-out muffler, and he comes by and he says to me, are you okay? And I said, no, I'm not doing great. And he says, I got some help for you. So he reaches in his back seat and he pulls out a McDonald's bag and he says, here, take this. And I opened it up, it was a used napkin inside. It had ketchup on one side. So I, <laughs> I took the napkin, put it to my face and I kind of absorbed the blood that was flowing down from my face. I call this the parable of the modern Good Samaritan because here was a guy who wanted to help didn't have much time to help, and all he had to help me with was this McDonald's bag with a used napkin in the back. What I really longed for was someone who would just stay with me for a while, maybe make a phone call, maybe just kind of comfort me a little bit. I mean, we were strangers, but there was a longing, and when he drove off, I was thinking, like, <laughs> I wish you'd stay, I really wish you'd stay. Jesus now tells the story of the Good Samaritan, Luke chapter 10, verse 25. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Imagine the scene, they're all kinda seated with Jesus, but now one person stands up to test him. Teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus replied, what is written in the law? How do you read it? He answered, love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your mind, with all of your soul, and all of your strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. You've answered correctly, Jesus said. Do this and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself. So he asked Jesus, who is my neighbor? In reply, Jesus said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, when he fell into the hands of robbers. When they stripped him of his clothes, They beat him up, and they leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So too a Levite, when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan was also traveling, came to where the man was, and when he saw him, he felt compassion, felt pity for him. He went to him, bandaging up, His wounds, pouring in oil and wine, taking care of him, he took him to an inn, putting him on his donkey. The next day, he took out two coins and gave them to the innkeeper and said, Look after him. When I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you have incurred. Jesus asked, Which of these three was the neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? The expert in the law said, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. Jesus now is teaching and there's an interruption to his teaching. There was a man there who was a lawyer, not a lawyer that works in a law firm, but a expert in Jewish law, a scholar, if you will. He, every day of his life, studied the law of Moses but he wasn't sure about something. He wasn't sure about his salvation, about his eternal destination. So he had a very important question to ask Jesus. He said, teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? One thing to live and love like Jesus is to enter into people's questions. Here was a man with a question that he couldn't answer. What must I do to inherit eternal life? You see, inheritance has to do with an estate, that someone who owns an estate passes an inheritance to their son or to their daughter. This man must have known that God is very wealthy and there is a kingdom, and he wanted to be part of the kingdom. And since heaven is so amazing, he wants to be part of heaven he's wondering, how do I get there? What do I have to do to get in? I know that sinners don't get into heaven. I have an awareness of my own sin, so what must I do so I'm not left out? Jesus replied, what is written in the law? I mean, you are a scholar of the law, right? You read the law every day. You discuss it. You debate it. How do you read it? If you're a teacher, you're familiar with what's going on in the story because the man's asking a question and Jesus is asking a question back to the man asking a question. It's like if somebody were to say to you, how do you think the Redskins are gonna do this year? And you would say, what do you read in the newspaper? I mean, you're the sports person, like what do you read about the Redskins? Or what do you see on TV? Or somebody said to you, how do you think the stock market will do in the next year? And you say, well, what do you read online? Or you say, who do you think will win the next election? Well, what do you read in the, in the newspaper, right? What do you believe about this latest discovery, you know, down in South Africa about the missing link? Do you think that will prove evolution? Well, what do you believe about evolution? You see, it's answering a question with a question. Jesus is talking to this person who's an expert in the law. He really was. And so he says to him, okay, you read the law every day. What do you read in the law? He said, love the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all of your mind and all of your soul and all of your strength and love your neighbor as yourself. I mean, love God with every fiber of your being. And love your neighbor as yourself. That's what the man said. And Jesus said, do this and you will live. You know, ding, ding, ding. You've answered correctly. You have the right answer. Do this and you will live. What the man doesn't quite realize is that nobody has ever loved God with all of their being or loved their neighbor as their self we tend to take pretty good care of ourselves, right? So if I am thirsty, I find myself something to drink. Or if I am hungry, I kind of find something to eat. Or if I am sick, I go see a doctor or make sure I try to find the very best doctor for me. You see, I love myself. But do I love my neighbor like that? That if my neighbor were thirsty, I would give them something to drink. If my neighbor were hungry, I would make sure they were fed. If my neighbor needed transportation, I would make sure they got the transportation. If they needed health care, I would make sure they saw a doctor. You see, Jesus is talking here about a very deep kind of love. But he wanted to justify himself. You see, either in life we will try to justify ourselves or we will be justified by faith in the person of Jesus Christ. Here was a man who lived a pretty good life. He was a religious expert. And so he had done many good deeds with his life. He was born into the right nation. He was born in the nation of Israel. He was Jewish. You see, you... Being born into the right nation is something like being born an American, right? You were, most of you here were born into America, and you're an American citizen. You were born into this country. You have a birth certificate to prove it. If you travel, you have an American passport. You were born an American citizen. You see, this man could say, I was born into the right nation. I've done the right kinds of things. But that's like saying that we were born into a condition called sin. That was not a choice that we made. It was, a, it was passed down to us from our parents, you see, the sinful condition. Here was a man trying to justify himself because he believed he had done enough to merit eternal life. And so he's trying to justify himself, and he asked the question, what, you know, what must I do, and then who is my neighbor? So Jesus then gives him this amazing story. Now this story is so amazing about Good Samaritans that we have hospitals that are called the Good Samaritan Hospital. This story is so famous that we have laws called the Good Samaritan Laws, right? That sort of protect those people giving care, first responders, in the event of an accident. We have an organization called Samaritan's Purse and Samaritan's Purse shows compassion to people that are uh, in great need. Like, for instance, in Syria, the Civil War going on, there's four million refugees now out of Syria. About a million have gone to Jordan, about a million to Lebanon, a couple of million to Turkey, and many are streaming across the border now over into Austria and into Germany. And what an amazing opportunity God has given to the church to provide love, to provide shelter, food and water, medicine, education to many Muslims who are fleeing out of Syria. In other words, there are amazing um, spin offs of this story of the Good Samaritan. So, Jesus describes a situation that could happen to us, any of us, at any time. A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. Now, I have traveled this road, and Jerusalem sits at about 2,700 feet, and Jericho is about 900 feet below sea level. It is a steep, winding, dangerous path. It is called the Blood Pass because for the 17 miles, there are rocks and caves just everywhere. If you're in a bus, you can look over the edge and go, Whoa, that's a long way down. So, in other words, this guy is on a perilous journey. A college student would know the peril of walking across an urban college campus or a city unattended. A person living in Baltimore would know there are certain places in Baltimore you just don't want to be in the nighttime, right? The religious scholar would know the danger of this journey. So this man, this traveling man, not identified as most likely a Jew, is traveling along this 17-mile journey down to Jericho, and something happens to the Jewish man. He is jumped, and he is mugged. Some robbers strip him of his clothing, and they pummel him to a pulp, and they take all of his belongings, and they leave the man to die. The man has large, gaping wounds, and his lifeblood is oozing out of him but there's hope there's a ray of sunshine we're losing lights this is like the special effects of the man on the road to Jericho so okay so this this man's lying beside the road there's a man coming to him now he's not an ordinary man he's a religious man he's a priest he's a holy man doing a holy work in a holy place. He's a priest in the line of Aaron. He's been doing his religious duty. So we're about to see something happen. It's not going so great for the wounded man. He's this shadowy figure lying on the side of the road. But the priest has been in the presence of God. He knows Micah 6.8, which says, what is required of you, O man? Do you know this verse? What is required of you, O man? but to do justice and to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. See, it's really not about the outward show. It's not about how loud you can preach this story. It's about how you live the story. It's not really how religious you profess to be. It's about how you live your life. You see, the priest happened to be going down the same road. Now, is this happenstance or is this providence. You're on the same street when something happens. You're standing in the same grocery store beside the person that can't pay their bill. You're sitting beside the student who doesn't have lunch to eat. You're in the same waiting room when the doctors come in to talk to the person seated beside you. You see, this is the priest's Moment to shine. This is his opportunity to show the love of God. He has received mercy. Now he has an opportunity to show mercy. Everybody's thinking who's hearing this story a priest is on the same road. He'll stop, he'll roll down his window, he'll say, Are you okay? He'll do what he can to help. But that's not what happens. Even though he's going down the same road, when the priest saw the man, he passed by on the other side. You ever been stranded? You have been, haven't you? Your car is broken down. You don't know how to fix it. You're waving down cars to stop, and nobody's stopping. And there you are on the side of the road. You had a flight, and the flight was canceled? Surely they'll put me on the next flight. Nope. There's no room in the next flight. You're going to spend the night in the airport. You ever been stolen from? car gotten broken into? Your house being broken into? What it feels like to be violated like that? You ever been beaten up? See, this is not only about being beaten up physically. This is about being beaten up emotionally. Here's a man beside the side of the road who's been terribly beaten up. And it's obvious to anybody who had pass by he has suffered an injury. And the person who saw him did absolutely nothing about it. Maybe he was busy. Maybe he was preoccupied with his religion. Maybe he's just trying to get home. We don't really know. But the priest didn't stop. There is no love of God in his heart. But, that's, but all is not lost. We had hope for the priest to stop. But he didn't stop. You know, the religious guy didn't slow down. But there's his assistant, the Levites, coming. A priest didn't come through, but maybe the Levite will come through. Maybe the Levite coming from Jerusalem to Jericho will see the wounded man and show him some love. The priest didn't get it right, maybe the Levite will. Surely he'll stop, if not for a Jew, just for his fellow man. He's been singing songs about the love of God. That's what Levites do. Surely he'll pull over to the side of the road roll down his window, hey, are you okay? What can I do to help? Do you get from the impression of the story that we're here to help one another? If someone's fallen, we're to help them up. But what happens in the story? When the Levite came to the place, he saw the man, but he passed by on the other side. Strike one, strike two. (laughs) But then comes a Samaritan. Now, nobody is expecting the Samaritan to do anything. The Samaritans were um, not friendly with the Jews. They didn't talk to each other. They avoided each other. When when, When a person went from the south up to the north, they walked all the way around Samaria so as not to put their feet onto Samaria. They hated each other. I mean, Samaritans and Jews were not even friends, they were like enemies. Think of the person you don't talk to. Think of the person you try to avoid. You have someone you don't talk to? Somebody that you try to avoid? Yes, that's this person, okay? Think of the African American in Ferguson, Missouri, helping the white police officer who's been wounded. Think about the Muslim woman with the burqa offering a bowl of lentil soup to a Jewish man because he's hungry. Think of the bad boy on the Harley seeing the CPA on the side of the road and say, hey man, jump on my bike and taking him to the garage. That's the Samaritan person, okay? Everybody is surprised that the Samaritan would stop but when he saw the man, the human being lying on the side of the road, he felt something in his heart. He felt mercy. He felt compassion. When Jesus saw the widow, remember last week? He saw her. He felt compassion. When this man saw the wounded man, he felt compassion. When the Samaritans saw him, He did something quite amazing. He got off of his donkey and he poured some wine and oil into the man's wounds. I like the fact he carried his own wine. He had wine to pour into his wounds. Wine was an ancient antiseptic, alcohol, meant to cleanse the wound. The oil was sort of a balm to induce healing, to soften the tissues. The man took his own clothes, perhaps, and ripped it up and created bandages. Then the man put the wounded man onto his donkey, taking care of him, and took him to town, to an inn. Not a fancy place, not a Marriott hotel with a shower, with a jacuzzi in the basement. He took him to an inn, a pretty crowded place, where he could get rest, and shelter, a safe place to be. And he took care of the man. He stayed with him. And then he said to the innkeeper, he gave him some money, he said, here's to two denarius. With two denarius, the man could have stayed perhaps a month or two months to convalesce in this place. And then he said, if you incur any more expenses, I'll pay you back. This was an amazing story Jesus is telling, and there's three primary characters in the story, if you're following. The first character in the story is the beat-em-ups, okay? I call them the robbers are the beat-em-ups. The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. The robbers came to take what belonged to somebody else. They were waiting there in the caves, in the shadows, to pounce upon this unsuspecting man the beat-em-ups. Secondly, there are the pass-em-ups, the priest and the Levite. They saw clearly the situation, but rather than get involved, they sort of went over on the other side. They did not put forth any time or energy or resources to help. The love of God was not in their heart. But then there is the help-em-ups, the Samaritan man. You see, he saw the situation and he felt compelled to get involved. The question you wanna ask yourself is, what does the love of God require of me in this situation? How can I be loving to this person who finds themselves in pain? So what? So what's the point of the story? This is what Jesus is trying to teach. A neighbor is any human being in need whom God has placed in your path, whom you can help." It is a radical redefinition of neighbor. Up until then, they would have thought of a neighbor being a person of their own nation. A Jew would help a fellow Jew. But you never would expect a Samaritan would help a wounded Jewish person. Here is the great surprise. Jesus is teaching us that A neighbor is any person who has a need, whom God has placed in your path, whom you can help. And so Jesus says to him, which of the three do you believe was the good neighbor to the person who fell into the hands of the um, robbers? And he couldn't quite pull himself to say the Samaritan, but he said the one who had mercy. And so Jesus says, go and do likewise. You see, we know this story now for centuries because he saw somebody in need and he did not ignore it. He rather involved himself. He saw a human being in need whom God had placed in his path and he reached out to him to show him love, the best he knew how. So how do we then go and do likewise? Now what? I've got six things I wanna say to you. The first of them is to be attentive. Be attentive to the pain which is all around you. If you're in a hospital setting, you will see pain. If you're in a workplace setting, you will see people that are in pain. If you're in school, you'll see people all around you who are suffering. Be attentive, walk in the spirit. Ask God, what do you want me to do about this situation? What is my assignment? What are you asking of me in regards to the situation I see right in front of me? If somebody is without, what do you want me to share with them? Be attentive. Don't walk through the life with blinders on, right? Be attentive to situations as you see them. Secondly, enter into the suffering of others by empathizing with them. Imagine yourself in their situation, walking in that person's shoes? What would it be like to be the man lying beside the road, the shadowy figure who's all beaten up, who all of his belongings are taken, who couldn't afford to get himself into a shelter? What would it be like to be that person and to empathize with their situation? What would it be like to be on the college campus, struggling with major life issues? What would it be like to be in my 20s and suffering in a situation? Third, do what you can to bind up their wounds. Jesus came to bind the brokenhearted. And God uses us to be people that help put people back together again. To begin to bind up what's broken inside. The deep wounds, some of those wounds go back to their childhood. Some of their wounds go back to their first marriage. Some of their wounds come from work situations. There's wounds we carry. Do what you can in the power of God, in the strength of God, to bind up their wounds. Fourth, provide transportation to safe places. (laughs) You know, in the ancient world, the best ride you could ever be on was a she-donkey she donkeys were preferred preferred over he donkeys because it was a smooth ride so i like to believe this was a smooth ride for this man who was wounded he put him on the back of his donkey it was the best he could do transportation to a safe place as we gather together in community we want to provide a safe place a shelter a refuge where people can come into and be completely honest with one another here was a man who could never ever pay him back. He had nothing to pay him back with. All of his belongings were taken. But the man, the Samaritan, had compassion upon him. Fifth, be willing to be inconvenienced, giving up your time and your energy and your money. You know, if you're in community with somebody who's moving, they're moving, one way to show compassion is to help them move. That's a new thought, isn't it? Like, this person is moving. Maybe I can be involved with packing them up. Maybe I can be involved with loading the truck. Maybe I can be involved with unpacking the boxes. You see, compassion is the movement of the heart to see somebody in need and to move toward them, not away from them. Being willing to involve myself with my energy, my time, and my money. And the sixth is very important. Set boundaries of how much you are able to give. Sometimes you look at a situation and you say, that is a deep, dark, vast abyss. So you have to be willing to know what you're willing to give into that situation and set boundaries. Like this man was on business. He had a city to get to. If he simply kind of stayed with this person, He would not be able to do his business so he stayed with him for a while and then entrusted him to the innkeeper giving him some money to take care of this guy he set boundaries in this situation you ask the question how do i live and love like jesus just go and do likewise let's pray father As we hear this story, it's a stunning story. It's a surprising story because the hero of the story is quite unexpected. No one would have ever thought a Samaritan would step into this man's troubles, who would see him, feel compassion for him, bandage him up, pouring in wine and oil, riding him on his donkey, taking him to a safe shelter making sure he was taken care of, visiting him again. Father, he left a legacy behind, a story behind, that we can step into. Because surely this week, God, you're going to bring somebody into our path, a human being with a need. And we're going to have a choice to make whether we will step into it or not. And so we're going to count upon your Spirit to lead us and to guide us to show us the action we should take. Help us not to live our lives numb, unresponsively, without tenderness. God, would you just tenderize our own hearts and sensitize us to your spirit that we could be alert and attentive and empathetic, taking on our assignment, setting really good boundaries, being able to say no, but also willing to say yes. God, would you give us stories to tell of people to whom we were able to show compassion, who showed compassion to us. God, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So if I were riding my bicycle this afternoon and I hadn't filled up my front tire and I rounded a turn and I spilled out, and I face planted in the asphalt, and I broke my helmet, and my glasses were there on the side, what would you do? God bless you. We'll see you next week.